We have a wonderful treat this morning. We get to hear from Lori Dickerson, who is our missionary to Uganda. We sent her out six months after we arrived. I mean, uh, she has an amazing story. But for those of you who are new, and if you're on live stream today and you've never met Lori, you're in for a treat. Um, she's going to share for a few minutes. You'll see her again on the 26th, our last day, but she'll be back. And uh, periodically, I'm sure she'll make her way back. So uh, Lori, you can make your way up here. But I just want to mention, for those of you who haven't met her, that Lori started on the east side of Uganda in a village called Budaka and the surrounding villages as well because they reached out, of course, to the children and adults in the other villages. There she started a school, an orphanage, and a church. And with the help of an indigenous pastor, Pastor Rogers, they did that together. And then she handed that off to him and went to the west side where she has started another church, New Life Church, and a bakery. Um, a business that hires Ugandans, and in that, she's able to disciple them, but also equip them with a, some really valuable life skills. And But the real trademark of Lori is this. Well, one, that she loves Jesus with all her heart, but two, she is a Jesus-obedient person. How has this woman gone to Uganda alone, but with Jesus, of course. How has she done that over the years? It's because she is a woman of his presence. She listens to Jesus, and then she does what he asks her to do. And he gives her very creative ideas uh, to do that in Uganda. And would you just join me in telling her we love her? Thank you so much. Um, just want to give you an update from, I was here seven months ago. And uh, I was there for four months and have been back now, and I'll be here for another six months. Most of you know I'm starting the transition of being in the States more and there less. Um, and so what I've been teaching them there is from Joshua 1 and what they're now working on. Joshua 1, um, God's handover to Joshua from Moses. And the first thing God says is, it's time to move. Moses is dead. Okay? And I tell them, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> but if you hear that I'm dead, don't worry. I'm in a much better place, okay? Um, so that's the first thing. It's time to move. It's time to go to the new life. What, what is the new life that God is doing? And the same relationship with God is necessary. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The same relationship is necessary. And the promise, I will never leave you and never forsake you. Those are really important things. So I want to show you some of the new life that has happened since I was here last. Um, God's going to do a new thing. And he is doing a new thing there. So first is the baptisms that we had on Easter Sunday. I think you did too. Ours were quite different, as you will see. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is a fish pond. Uh, most of the pools were closed or wouldn't let us come on Easter. So uh, we went to a fish pond. They wouldn't let me get down in there, but the silt came all the way up to their knees, down underneath. And Gerald is on the right. He's been with me for, even since Budaka, he's been with me. And he's the manager at the bakery, but also a great leader in the church. Uh, Nicholas is in the black shirt, and Nicholas is our, uh, one of our great leaders there. He's going through a time of real uh, humility right now and learning some new things. Have you ever been through a time of humility? Yes, okay, that's what he's going through right now. He's a wonderful leader. And the next picture is Julian. She's a brand new Christian, and she's come to know the Lord just when I was gone the last time. They all led her to the Lord. So she's a wonderful person, new life that's there. The next one is Gilbert, 
And Gilbert is a, a young leader. Uh, he's one of our junior leaders there. He's not, not junior in age, but junior in he, he, knowing Christ. He came to Christ two years ago, right at the beginning of COVID. He wanted to be baptized immediately, and everything got closed down. So he's getting baptized here. The interesting thing about Gilbert is he's very afraid. He's never, until now, he has never had his head underwater. So he's washed his face, he's washed his hair, but he's never had his full head under. He was very afraid. I don't know if you see the look, but that is a little bit of fear, okay? And then to be in a fish pond, to go into that murky, murky water, it was really good. Anyway, he's a, he's a wonderful young man, uh, just walking with Jesus, listening to him, and doing what he says. Really great. Um, Gerald's been with me, like I said, for nine years. And then the staff at, uh, at the bakery, so we have a new staff, almost completely new since the last time. And on the left is Doreen, and she, we're, we just hired her as an assistant manager. She comes to us from another organization there and is just doing a great job learning this business, which is different than the business she was in before, but a wonderful, loves Jesus with all her heart. And then Rita is on the right, that's Gerald in the middle, and Rita's on the right, and she is brand new there also and has been with us about two months now. And just, uh, she's from a Catholic background and just coming to have a relationship with Jesus. So we're really excited about her coming to know uh, who Jesus is. And then the last picture, the last update, Harriet was one of our um, employees. And the reason she's gone is because of this. So <laughs> she has a little boy, haven't named him yet. They don't name babies until the clan has to get together and give them one of the names and then the parents get to decide one name, but the baby hasn't been named yet. Born last week. So that's part of our new life there. Um, so they're on the move. New things happening. I'll go back uh, probably the first of the year. My daughter's pregnant, for those of you who know Abby. And so I will stay until the baby's born at the end of December. And then I will go, uh, go back and see how everybody's doing. So thank you very much. It's so important that we pray for her um, in this new season. Um, it's navigating uh, leadership in, on two continents. Uh, that's a big deal. And Lori, we're so proud of you, the way you've developed leaders, pastors for the ministry. I mean, you've prepared the way. And um, good job. Good job. We want to affirm that in you. Would you extend your hands this way and let's pray for Lori. Um, Jesus, we do. We already know you love her. You see her. You have been leading her. And so we just ask, Lord, that you wouldn't miss one step of your path, nor one person in her path, Lord. We just ask that you would continue to shower her with your favor, with your provision, Lord, and with your power and your strength as she works with people on both sides, Lord, of the continents. And, Lord, I pray um, also that uh, she would be refreshed, in this time home as she has refreshed many others, Lord, and that the kindnesses for which she lives with in Uganda, that those, Lord, would also happen for her in this time here in the States. Any way that we can be a part of that, Lord, we look forward to. And so we just thank you for Lori. Thank you for the transition, Lord, that you're working there in Uganda. We pray that it would go each step of it marvelously, Lord, just how you designed it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Okay, I titled this talk, Get in Trouble Like Jesus. Is that what you're expecting me to talk about? <laughs> we'll see what that means. <laughs> well, I want to say hello to those who are on live stream this morning. So glad that you joined us here, and I'm thrilled that you got to hear from Lori, too. But to all of you, whether I've personally met you or not, including on live stream, I want to say, wow, 
this is my last opportunity to talk with you as one of your lead pastors. And I want you to know what a privilege it's been. Um, maybe some of you have noticed this stage backdrop, faith, hope, and love. And what's the greatest of them all? Yeah, we want to make sure that as we finish into this series that this would be in the forefront because these three things, faith, hope, and love, are the hallmark of what we want to leave in our wake. Not just what Ann and Jared want to leave in our wake, but for these last 13 years, it's how we've functioned is what would we want every person to walk away from a time with our community, be it a small group of the community or the large gathering of the community. We want them to walk away with faith, more confidence, in God. We want them to walk away with hope that this, that what God said, he will do. And sometimes, you know, we walk in with a lot of hope already, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're at a discouraged point. We want those people to walk out. We want you to walk out of here or walk out of whatever gathering you are with E and experience that. And then what we want everyone to experience walking away is I am loved. I am loved. And so because of that, we have this on stage for this whole time. And it's my prayer for the outcome of our conversation today. Faith, hope, and love would be the outcome there too. Because I love you. I love you. I love you. I need and wish I could say that to each one of you individually. And I need for you to know that today's talk is not an exhortation. You know, an exhortation kind of is like, Let's get up and get busy, friends. It's, it's that kind of thing, right? I'm going to use simple language there. But it is instead of an exhortation, it's a celebration of who you already are. We're going to celebrate all through this message. This, this is who you are, and we're hoping to stir you up in who you already are as you look ahead to this next year. So today... Faith is a celebration of the faith, hope, and love that you've demonstrated in our 13 years together. And you know, you hear it a lot around here that our mission, and you can say it with me, is to help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. Yeah, and we've said that a lot, but today... I want to take a moment and celebrate what God has done through all of us to help people decide to follow Jesus. So you need your popper in hand because we're going to use it in just a minute. You know, each month when the council meets together, we celebrate the number of people who said yes to Jesus in the previous month's gatherings. Okay, whatever those gatherings are, which can include not just the weekend, but camps and things like that. So... We have done this in a lot of different ways. We've done 21 Nerf gun salutes. And we do poppers most often because they're most accessible. So do you have your poppers ready? Because we want to celebrate with you after I give you this number, on the count of three, we're going to do these. Because these colorful ping pong balls represent the 2,380 people who have said yes to Jesus in our weekend gatherings in the last three, 13 years. One, two, three. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's, um, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And I think, and I, yeah, that's good. Don't let one go unpopped. And now would you just join me in thanking Jesus with an applause to him? Yeah, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, he is good. So 
to help people find Jesus, we have to be willing to get in trouble like Jesus did. In other words, Evergreen, we are a great, a fantastic group of troublemakers. Yeah. And I want to encourage you. Today's talk is all about to encourage you to keep up the good work. So when we think of Jesus getting in trouble, sometimes uh, people go immediately to when he was 12 years old. They were in Jerusalem with his family, and Jesus stayed behind in the temple unbeknownst to his parents. They think he's part of the caravan, maybe with some family, you know, the carpool home. But it's more like a foot pool, right? Because they they're not driving. But Jesus is not. He's at the temple talking with the teachers of the law, talking with the Pharisees, and he's having amazing conversations, and they find him. Well, that's not the trouble we're talking about today, though. Not that kind of trouble. Instead, Jesus regularly got in trouble spending time with the wrong people. The wrong people. People without a relationship with God. People who were marginalized. People who were poor or demon-possessed or outcast. Or who were determined or deemed to be less than. And the people on the fringes of the culture. He was criticized on multiple occasions by both the Pharisees, the religi other religious leaders, and the scholars. And those in the crowd who were around him. That's right, the crowd could be listening intently one minute and criticizing him quickly on the heels of that. I want to review a couple of these places where Jesus got in trouble because of who he hung out with so that I think you'll be surprised how prevalent this is in Jesus' story. So we don't have to be surprised that that's going to happen for us too. But also, you can be encouraged about it. So Luke 15, a wonderful book in the Bible, a wonderful chapter in the Bible. And it's got the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And that, those stories were prompted by Jesus. They were, he was urged to tell them because of what I'm going to read to you now out of Luke 15, 1 through 3. It said, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased. They were not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Well, it was their grumbling. It was those words that triggered Jesus to launch into these three stories. The first of which was the lost sheep, a shepherd with 100 sheep, which was an average-sized flock. And one of them goes missing, and the shepherd leaves the 99. He goes out, and he finds the one. And when he returns, he celebrates that this lost sheep was found. So move to Luke 7 with me. And Jesus himself is commenting on what the crowd and religious leaders' criticism of John the Baptist and of himself were. He says this, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunken, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, on the hills of Jesus identifying this common criticism that he faced at the hands of both the crowd and the religious leaders, Jesus tells a story, an account of a dinner that he was invited to at a Pharisee's home. So I want you to think about a dinner at your home because the Bible comes alive when you put yourself in the story more. I want you to think of you invited some friends for dinner. You're about ready. You're sitting there at the table. You're eating dinner. Here's what happened. 
at this one Jesus was a part of, a woman comes into this dinner party that Jesus had been invited to, and he be, she begins to weep over his feet, wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them dry with her hair. And yeah, they had a lot longer hair than I do back then. But I just imagine her taking that hair and just rubbing it across Jesus' feet in order to dry those tears. And then it says that she poured that alabaster vial of perfume that she brought with her. She poured it on his feet. I mean, this is one of the more intimate depictions of somebody relating to Jesus that we find in the Gospels. Now, wait for the response. Here's what the Pharisee who hosting, who's hosting the party says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, in other words, if this man were from God, he would know who is touching him and the kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, but wait, there's more. Jesus got in trouble a lot, I warned you. Luke 19, Jesus encounters this man named Zacchaeus who's up in a tree because he hears that Jesus is passing by. He doesn't want to miss out. He's kind of a short guy, so he hops up in the tree looking out for him. Jesus comes and stops right at that very tree. We're not surprised. That probably had uh, God's will, God's planning written all over it. But Jesus stops at this tree, and here's what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Listen for the response. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus' final words to them were these. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why I came. It's a restatement of his mission. That's what we're talking about. Getting in trouble with Jesus is all about living on mission with him. And we go to one more passage out of Matthew 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So I've come to call the righteous, not the sinners. Okay, so my big encouragement and my acknowledgement of who you are is this. Let's keep getting in trouble like Jesus, Evergreen. Let's keep doing that. Let's increase that. Let's get into even more trouble this year. So I look at these people and I ask myself the question, what do all these people that Jesus was criticized for spending time with share in common? Okay, there's four things that I noted. First of all, they all had negative labels or judgments put on them by others. Do you have anybody like that in your life? You know, does your family perhaps have a black sheep? Or perhaps it's like my family. We've had multiple black sheep over the years. Just depends on what era we're talking about, you know, and how much time has passed. Or maybe it's that person you know that's just too much of something. They're too outspoken. They're too demanding. They're too blunt. They're too needy. They're too into, and you fill in the blank. Those are the people. Those are the people that Jesus got in trouble with. The second thing, 
that we see these people share in common that Jesus was willing to be criticized for is they were all people who were deemed less than by the people doing the criticizing. I like to use the word, they were a bother. Anyone like that in your life? Anyone that you don't like to spend time with or don't invite to spend time with you because it would require more of you than you'd like to give? Or it will, be, it will not be easy for you to be with them? Jesus spent time with those people. The third thing they have in common they wanted Jesus' help, and they wanted to hang out with him. Unlike the Pharisees who wanted to undo him, who wanted to trip him up, who wanted to get him in trouble. They wanted to be with Jesus. Do you have some people like that, people who want to be with you? People you could give a little more space to in your life? And then the fourth thing that we see is they receive Jesus' love and attention. You know, last week in an excellent me message that Jared gave on a whole other uh, topic about living an architect life, living the life that God created you for, um, he mentioned this passage out of Acts 10. It says, you know Jesus of Nazareth who went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Now, that was the summation of what Jesus did. That's what he did for all of these people that he was criticized for being with, for hanging out with. You see, Jesus loved to spend time with people who didn't know him yet, who liked to hang out. He liked to hang out with people of all ages, with all kinds of problems, whose lives were messy, and who's, who maybe were embarrassing, maybe even shame-inducing in terms of their story. He was not afraid to befriend people that would get him criticized or judged. And Evergreen, I want to applaud you because many of the people in this represent your being willing to connect with people that don't know Jesus yet, whose stories are messy, who maybe something in their story gives you cause for pause for embarrassment, but you press past that and you realize that we're all sinners, that we all have brokenness, and you were able to move into that. And so I want to applaud that in you. But my next question, after we see how prevalent this was in Jesus' life, we ask the question, how did Jesus connect with all these lost people? You know, because we have different lives here represented in different stories. So I want to use that today, and I'm going to ask you to now, you need a pen and you need your love list, okay, in front of you. And um, I'm going to ask you to write uh, several names at various points, a couple of names. You're going to end up with maybe four names um, before we're done. But... I want this to be something that reminds us tomorrow, in the weeks ahead and the months ahead, of the amazing array of people and ages of people that God has for you to influence, that God has for you. And you don't have to do something new. You just need to continue what you are and see who these people are in your lives. We miss them sometimes. Okay, so you have your love list in front of you. Top of the list, first thing I want you to do is to write the name of someone that's just, you would love to see them come to know Jesus this year. Don't work hard at it. You know you have somebody. You know, when I came to faith in Christ, I was 10 years old, and on that 10th birthday, the first thing I did for the birthday candle wish was a prayer for my dad to be saved. And for 27 years, that was the first name on my love list, right? That was the top of my mind. When will my dad get saved? Lord, I want my dad to get saved. How would that look if he got saved? 
you have those people in your lives. And that is a powerful motivator to keep at the top of our list. So I want you to write that name down. And now we're going to look at the four ways that Jesus encountered people that got him in trouble. Okay, first of all, he came by some of them in the course of doing other things, and they caught his attention. Okay, Zacchaeus caught his attention, but there's another guy, a blind man by the road as Jesus approached Jericho on his way, not to Jericho, he was going through Jericho to go to Jerusalem. He was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to do his major life purpose, and here's this blind man by the road. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A little inconvenient, but this guy was persistent, and he got Jesus' love and attention, and Jesus healed him. So we were at a couple of our grandson's baseball games this past week. Jacob, he's a second grader. Oh, those are exciting baseball games. Wouldn't you agree? Second grade boy baseball games. It was a lot of fun. But we had parents and grandparents, and we had Jacob's school bus driver there. Dave and his wife Elaine and why was he there because Jacob invited him because Jacob talks to him on the bus every day about when his games are and he'll tell him all about it and he hopes he gets to pitch and he hopes he gets to play first base and all this information then at the end he'll say you're coming aren't you Dave <laughs> no pressure bus driver Dave he's an amazing bus driver he he's done this in his retirement it's just amazing but Dave and Elaine were there, and we had some great conversations with them. They actually knew some people from Evergreen, which they brought up, so they wanted to establish a connection. But we cross paths, you cross paths with people every day in your parenting of your kids, in your cheering your friends on, in your working out, if you do that, if you pursue a hobby of some kind, and in your work. You run into people all the time. And we don't want to miss the people that Jesus didn't miss. We want to get in trouble like he did. And I have four people in my workout at Orange Theory, four people that five days a week, when I'm there, I continue the conversation with. I make sure that I get to have some connection with. And on those four, one of them has visited Evergreen, even videotaped a part of her visit, starting at the parking lot, by the way, just so you know, you can... Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to see how she responded. But all of this is to say, these are some of the people on my list. So I'd like you to take a minute and write on your love list the name of at least one person that you encountered when you were doing other things. It might be a class you took. It might be a work group. You go ahead and write that one name down. It might be a neighbor. So some of these people that Jesus got in trouble for being with, well, some of them approached him. So that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? I mean, I think about it like it might not to, to approach me, but to approach Jesus, to go up to him and ask for his help. But that happened. I think of as the first example that comes to my mind is in John 3, the Pharisee Nicodemus. It says he came to Jesus at night and he had some questions for him which Jesus replied back with some questions. They had quite a conversation. You can read the whole chapter, the whole encounter. 
Well, what's really cool about this is this one doesn't get tied up with a neat and tidy bow. See, sometimes that's what we'd like, isn't it? That one encounter, one and done. They're saved, they come to Jesus, they're part, they become part of a community of faith. But that's not Nicodemus' story. He's got some things to work through. He still has questions. And he felt free to come to Jesus and leave it with not of responding. We have, no, we have mystery after that for a while. But if you read through the whole New Testament, you see another encounter with Nicodemus. You read something about him after Jesus' death that tells you Nicodemus came to faith in Christ. But Jesus doesn't get to see all that part of the story, right? We don't get to see it immediately either. So I'd like you to take a minute and I'd like you to write down the name of someone who's initiated with you. They've started a conversation like Nicodemus did with Jesus. It might not have been about God like Nicodemus did. It could be about your work. It could be about something else. But I want you to know something. I view when somebody is open to me, open enough to initiate with me, I view that as a person who's open to God because the Holy Spirit lives in me and something is drawing them to me, to have initiated with me. So I assume the best that this is a person that's on their way to Jesus and I'm called to be one of those people that shares his story, his love with them. And I encourage you to think about that. What are some one who's initiated toward you? And put that name down. And that brings us to the third way that Jesus connected with lost people. Some of them were brought to him by others. And, of course, the first story that comes to mind is the paralytic. It's found in Luke 5, but the paralytic guy who Jesus was teaching in a home, it was so crowded, there was no room anywhere, not even outside. You couldn't get near the entry. So what did the four friends do? They got their friend on this pallet, took him up on the roof of that home, tore a hole in the roof, and let him down through the roof. It was their faith, their encouragement, their physical action that helped their friend get to Jesus. And some people need that much help. Some people might need that much help. Are we willing to do that? Have you ever been introduced to someone new through a neighbor or a friend or a coworker or a teammate or a coach or perhaps a friend or family member? You know, I've had this said to me, I have someone that you have got to meet. Have you ever had that said to you? Yeah, I consider that another one of those God opportunities where God is at work. Someone has spotted something in me that they see would be helpful for that. This is an opportunity to hear that person's story and to love them wherever they're at in their story. So I'd like you to write down the name of someone you know because they were introduced to you by someone else. You wouldn't know them if it wasn't that someone else put you in touch with them. And that reminds me of the fourth way that Jesus connected with lost people. It says that some he initiated with himself. He was the total initiator. And the first story that comes to mind in, in the account of Jesus' life on planet Earth is out of John 4, the woman at the well. Because Jesus goes to her, even though that socially wouldn't have been that appropriate, but he went to her and asked her for a drink of water. Now, what I love about this one is Jesus initiated with her and let her help him. And that's a very powerful thing for us to learn. We can have help from people who don't know Jesus yet. They can help us 
They're not the only ones in need of help. We need help too. And sometimes it's that. It's being willing to be um, helped, to come across as the weaker person in some area. And that's what Jesus did when he approached the woman at the well. He started with a need that he had that drew her to him. So, who's somebody that you that God's led you to initiate a relationship with. I'll give you a couple ideas from my own life. It was the first day of kindergarten for my daughter, Hillary. We'd just moved to Bend, Oregon from Eugene, and there were five parents from five states in the office at once, all of us trying to get our kids all lined up and situated. And one of those was a woman named Nancy. How did I know her name? Because I, over, I overheard. You couldn't help but overhear each other, giving our information. Well, when I saw her, the Lord just thought crossed my mind, Anne, I want you to invite her to coffee. And that is what I did. I invited her to coffee that day, and we went to Royal Blend Coffee, which doesn't exist anymore, but was a great shop there in Bend. And we went for coffee, and that was the beginning of a 10-year friendship. That was the beginning of many opportunities to share Jesus with her, including telling her how she could come to know him, how he could help her through the death of her brother-in-law at a very young age through an accident. So seeing our new neighbors a week ago, I was reminded of this in the middle of all this conversation with God about it. You, I told you about the neighbor that moved away in our very new neighborhood and how we didn't notice soon enough and get over to talk to Leanne. Well, I saw our new neighbors. They were getting out of their car. Their garage door was open, and we, had not, we didn't even know who, lived in, who had moved in. And it's been over a month. So this last week, I stopped the car halfway out of the garage and just put it in park, got out, went over and introduced myself to a father and his adult son. And they're of an, another, um, they're immigrants to the United States. And um, so I also introduced them to my mom. And I introduced them in absentee to my husband because I thought it would be a great connection. They might remember his name when they saw him since it was both guys. I only got a, that much information and how long they'd been living there because they offered that um, at, on this particular one. But you see... That's, I have to keep initiating and build this relationship with them. So as you know, this is always a series of conversations. But the first thing I like to do is pray for them. And that's what the love list is all about. It's praying for the people, the lost people in your life. And, um, and this is what you've been so good at. This is why people have come to faith in Christ and said yes to Jesus. It's not a formula. It's not something that you do at just the same time every day. This is just a way of life. I want to just highlight um, somebody who's been amazing at this um, during our time here at Evergreen. There's a couple of couples that I want to just highlight, and there's many of you who are doing this, but Joel Peterson, I don't know if you just stand for a minute. Because Joel is tremendous at this. You know he's a public safety chaplain, so he runs into people on their worst day. And Joel does this over and over again, including bringing some uh, to Evergreen from that. And Joel, I want to say thank you. Could you just thank him for that? Yeah. And Greg and Kelly McKelvey are sitting back there, and they've been at the church much longer than we have. And Greg and Kelly, would you just stand up for a minute? And if ever there was a family that reached out to their extended family 
and their kids' friends. So it's a family network and bring them. Just a couple weeks ago, they brought another one of the friends of one of their kids um, to Evergreen. They're always thinking about how can we help um, introduce people to faith. And I want to say thank you for that, for the two of you. Thanks. And then I know for a fact that there's more stories out there, and I'm not going to be able to highlight everybody, but I want you to know how much I appreciate. Remember, I said this is a celebration, not an exhortation. So hopefully this will just multiply what you're already doing. Well, um, as you know, when you are talking with people about Jesus, it's always a series of conversations where you listen, where you hear somebody's story, where you get to pray for them, and then you follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in the conversation. And it's at this point that sometimes you invite them to experience Evergreen, either online or in person. But I want you to know, this is not about, and Jesus was not about, building up one particular expression of his church. It was about advancing God's kingdom, God's reign in the lives of people. That's what, that's what it's about. It's not about getting more people to come to Evergreen. It's about getting more people to come to Jesus, right? And some of those people, because of their story, because of where they're located, because of what's happening in their lives, this is a great place for them. But some people, it'll be another place. Jesus and, Jared and I always listen for that. Who, where should this person go? And if they live across uh, town in Happy Valley, this isn't a great place for them. You know, that's quite a commute. And we will find, help people find places where they're living because we connect with all different kinds of lost people. So there's two sets of facts that I want to share with you. Um, and about the ones outside the door, as I like to call them, or pre-Christians. And I love to use the term pre-Christians. A lot of researchers like to use unchurched. And there's some good reasons for that, but I don't like to use that in general. I like to use pre-Christians because I believe that if somebody doesn't know Jesus yet, they are pre-Christian because if they really knew him, if they really experienced his love, they would want to be a Christian. So they're just waiting. They're just waiting for God's love. And I find that gives you much more courage when you go to share, if you think of it that way. So this information that I want to say, this facts, um, Lifeway Research, which is a wonderful research group um, that was formerly out of Southern Baptist uh, denomination, but a great research group. Um, this is recent research. The church... The unchurched say they're open to having religious conversations. Close to half of unchurched Americans, that's right, 47%, say they would discuss freely if someone wanted to talk to them about their religious beliefs. How many of you are surprised by that? I'm going to just tell you, I'm surprised by it. I'm talking about I'm surprised by it in 2022 because of the polarization that we have. Sometimes there isn't even a place to get on board. That's how we think. But see, a little research can help dispel the lies of the enemy that we start to cause us fear. Okay, a few say they would discuss it with some discomfort. That's about, that's 12%. Okay, so about one in 10 people, yeah, they're not going to be comfortable while you're, while you're talking or sharing together. Or another 11% said they'd change the subject as soon as possible. Anybody ever have that happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're there together. But, you know, just prepare yourself. That's a part of um, it being, it getting in trouble, okay, With, like Jesus. So I like to cite the Apostle Paul because I think of him as bold and amazing, you know, speaker of God's truth. But even the Apostle Paul, if you look in Ephesians 6, how does he end that chapter? With a prayer that he would have the right words 
to share with people when he declares the truth about Jesus and that he would declare it fearlessly as he should. I don't know about you, but I don't pray about things that I don't need help with. So what does that tell me? He was afraid too. He got scared just like we do. So I want to encourage you in that. Okay, um, also, close to two, uh, rather two out of three unchurched Americans say they have multiple Christian friends that they interact with. So when you're interacting with lost people, you don't know. You might be number 20. You know, where are they in this process? That's what's fun to discover. You get to be a part of a stream of faith that's interacting with this person's life. But here's the rub about that that little piece of information that two-thirds of them have Christian friends in their life. Despite the openness to relationships with Christians, few unchurched Americans have ever had anyone explain to them how to become a Christian or why they should think about it. Three in 10, to be exact, that's 29% of pre-Christian Americans say a Christian has never shared with them how a person can become a Christian. I say that to encourage you. There, people want to hear. Truly, pre-Christian is the right word. People want to discuss faith. They want to hear about your beliefs, especially when you're being authentic with them. So, fun fact set number two that I want to have you to have as you go out uh, this week is that um, these have to do with kids and youth. Two-thirds of Christians came to faith before the age of 18. 43% came to Christ before the age of 12. There's a 414 window. That's what it's called, that four years old to 14 years old are where the most um, conversions to Christ happen. Okay, secondly is less than a fourth of the current believers today came to Christ after the age of 21. Half of the children who come to Christ are led by their parents. And now I add Anne's uh, implied statistic that comes out of that. 50% of our kids do not have that option of their parents leading them to faith in Christ. 50% is a lot, you guys. We don't want to forget kids. When we're thinking about the people that God's connecting us with, it, you know, everybody counts. Kids are important. They're part of the ones that Jesus culture deemed less. If you're giving your lives to help love kids and the neighbor kids, and that's incredibly important. And you know that kids and students are a priority here at Evergreen. They are an important part of our being on mission with Jesus because we want to give kids a running start at faith. Not, all, not just the kids who have Christian parents, but all kids. So we have 120 kids right now registered for our eKids camp. And a third of them, fitting things quite well, are friends and neighbors who've been invited. We don't know where they're at with Jesus because you and your kids are doing an amazing job of reaching out and listening and connecting with the kids who are outside the door. As you consider how to give your time, talent, and treasure to our camp, your first, I hope that your first thing will be to pray for these kids and then our youth who will be going to camp a couple weeks later. And this is what I want to entreat you about. I hope that you will remember me, Unchurched Annie, whose first prayer to God was help my family. And that God sent a neighbor girl to reach out and invite me to church. And because of that, 
I began to experience the goodness of God that we sang about and that we celebrate. And I want you to know that I never forget that. I live with that appreciation, and that motivates me. And so I want to entreat you, who is it that you've seen come to faith in Christ that does that for you? Maybe it is your own story, but maybe it's somebody that you've gotten to to, um, lead to Christ. So here we are, Evergreen. We're two weeks away from launching into chapter 32 with our amazing new lead pastors of Ilsen and Carlos Gomez. I mean, are they going to be great or what? I just did. Yeah, let's welcome them. Yeah. They're going to be our pastors too when we come back after Christmas Eve, just saying. So each of you received a ping pong ball. So it's time for this one. Representing a person in your life that you would like to see say yes to Jesus. You'd like to be able to throw them in the basket this next year. Who is that child, student, or adult? It might be a child, friends. It could be your own child. You know, my whole goal in ministry, you know, you don't want to gain the whole world and lose your own family. Very important that our own kids that we're praying them through and sharing with them. So it might be one of their names. Maybe it's their time. But who is it, somebody that God's helped you see today or that's been on your heart already? And I'd like you to take a minute and write their name on the ping pong ball. Like I've written the name of mine on this one. And with one of the Sharpies that's in the seat backs there in front of you. And if you're in a front row, you'll have to reach behind you and grab one. So take just a minute and do that. Who's someone you'd like to see come to faith in Christ this year? So we are going to pray that each one of these people that we've written down will have multiple encounters with Jesus. He's much more powerful than we are, and he can have encounters that are orchestrated outside of us, but also through us and others this year, and that the Holy Spirit will convince them of God's love and forgiveness for them, and that each one will say yes to Jesus. And I want to just pose to you, what if the first year of the 32nd chapter of Evergreen, each one of us got to be part of helping one person, one man, woman, or child say yes to Jesus. What if this year the Holy Spirit helps us get in more trouble like Jesus did for hanging out with the wrong people? And in this 32nd chapter, more people than ever find and follow Jesus. That's our prayer. That's what we want to have happen. Would you stand with me? And we're going to lift these ping pong balls. Would you lift them up to God like this? Not that he doesn't know their names. They're written on the palm of his hands. He loves them more than we do. Jesus, we lift these people to you. We ask that this year they'd have many encounters with you. 
where they would see, their eyes would be opened and their hearts would be open. Lord, like you opened Lydia's heart in Philippi, would you open the hearts of these people to receive you, to receive your love, to receive your forgiveness. Lord, that your goodness would run after them and that they would see that you are good and that you love them and that they too can be part of your family, that you're just waiting for them. And so, Lord, that's our prayer for these people. We're excited, Lord, that you would reach them so that your kingdom would be advanced, your reign in their lives, that they'd be able to experience your abundant life, your full life. And we ask for that by the power of the Holy Spirit and in your name, Jesus. Amen.